Hello, Devils fans. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast brought to you by All About the Jersey and our wonderful sponsors. My name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. How you doing, John? More, more, more. We need more, 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 more. And this is a reference. You will understand this, everybody, in, in like a few minutes. Yeah, and what John is talking about can also relate to this next game that we're going to break down. There was more, more, more of everything. More, more, more of everything that you'd ever see in most Devils games. There's 14 goals in this game that we're covering for this week as we continue this uh, quarantine. There's 14 goals. There's 88 penalty minutes. There's a lot going on in this game. There are... Uh, 67 shots with two-thirds of them going the way of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Devils come away with an 8-6 win on October 29th, 1986. Now, when I say 1986 New Jersey Devils, this is not a team that has experienced any sort of success at the franchise level, period, from Kansas City to Colorado to Mm -hmm. the early years in New Jersey. Until really 88, they hadn't really had a taste of any success, and... It's something that's mentioned frequently on the broadcast as we go through it, that, you know, this team, they say New Jersey as if Pittsburgh should not be struggling as much as they are with them. And (laughs) that was after, you know, just to give some context, seemingly a major overhaul to focus more on the youth of the team, which all feels like a very familiar sentiment. So as we go to this game, keep in mind, this was the Devils ninth game of the season that year, and they were up against the powerhouse Mario Lemieux. As he was, what, 21 years old at the time of this game? Mario Lemieux was 21 years old, and just as importantly, Pittsburgh started off the season 8-2, and two, which is one of the best records in the NHL at that time. So for them, for the, for the talking point, so to speak, was that this could be Pittsburgh's year, that they finally take a leap. Spoiler. No. And as we all know, <laughs> they did not. <laughs> yeah, it took them a couple of years after that to make the leap to um, – to finally be Stanley Cup champions, and they did it again the year after that. But the, the year after they summited the peak the first time. But that being said, both of these teams were not destined for greatness, certainly. And it showed in the early part of the 1986 season as this game was an absolute mess. And there's a lot to take in here. There's a lot going on. And within the first minute, there were already penalties strewn about, flying all over the place, people punching each other. Lots of coincidental minors and majors. And, you know, just for the 86 Devils, which were not, I guess, not fully bloomed skill-wise, this was uh, this was the way they played the game. It was very much how hockey was back in the 80s. Let's take a step back here. This broadcast that we watched was from ESPN NHL Tonight with our play-by-play man Ken Wilson and presumably a much younger color commentator named Bill Clement Mm -hmm. with Tom Mees in studio. And throughout all the beef and the fouls, like Ken Danico literally hugged Mario Lemieux with his stick, hauled him down, and not only did the referee not call anything, you know, Danico went over and, you know, pummeled, you know, another guy, Shortly there, shortly after an offside before the second major beef of the game that led to, you know, four minors being handed out, all roughing calls 
because the, the the ref didn't want to issue anything. And Bill Clement's going, oh, well, you know, the ref's just trying to take care of it. You know, he's talking about it like he's talking about he brought in his groceries or something. <laughs> like, this was happenstance. Like, yeah, it's just, it is what it is, you know? You know, referee Morrell makes a lot of calls. Lots of guys are sitting in a box. These two teams don't like each other. They played each other on 10-18, uh, October 18th. They lo- Devils lost 4-8. So, you know, clearly there was some bad blood. And I'm thinking to myself, what? bad blood could possibly happen at the beginning of the season (laughs) but apparently this is just how things were everybody was just tripping hugging clutching smashing guys all over the place tons of tons of incidences in this game where i immediately thought if this happened in today's game that would be a clear penalty everybody online would be upset about it nobody would complain about it back in the 80s it was you know if you can get away with it you do it and even if you didn't get away with it do it anyway, otherwise they're going to do it to you. Yeah, and a couple things were already markedly different about the game experience in itself, as they they continue to talk about uh, some players. There was a face-off taken, and two players involved were both helmetless, which just shows you how much mm-hmm. things have changed. You look out into the crowd, what you can see of it at least, and there are no people wearing jerseys. I think that's something that started a bit later in terms of the spectator experience um, for the most part. And it's it's interesting to to get a feel for how much clutching and grabbing there was in this era. And that led to so many penalties. And the announcers seemed like they, they thought the ref might have been you know, might have had a quick whistle that game, but you look at it now and it's just like, yeah, of course that's a penalty. Everything that they're doing is a penalty, but yeah. <laughs> but that being said, despite the fact that there was an early exchange of penalties uh, to start the game, it took until 6.07 of the first period for Pittsburgh to break through and score their first power play goal. And this is a theme that you're going to see for the rest of this game in that even strength was not a prominent situation in this game or definitely not oh, a no. prominent goal scoring situation in this game. Absolutely not. And by the time that Pittsburgh scored their first power play goal, the Devils have already taken two, I'm sorry, they've already conceded two power plays. This, I believe, was a two-man advantage. Actually, no, it was just after a two-man advantage ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the Devils respond to that power play goal by, what else? Taking another penalty, because that's just how you did things back then. <laughs> when you were young, unskilled, and getting you know steamrolled in the run of play, you just follow the guy. And, um, you know, Elaine Chevrier was your goaltender uh, in net for the New Jersey Devils. He had to come up big. It's goaltending was also so very different in this game. Yeah. The the best comparison I could make it to, it was a lot more like soccer, where it was more about how quick you were, how how quick your reflexes were, how you read the play, as opposed to today's goaltenders and even the goaltenders of the nineties when Wah and Brodor and Hasha came up where it was more about positioning, it was more about style, it was more about playing, you know, it was it was very it was an early example of analytics coming into play, you know, in terms of you know what? Where are goals mostly scored? Oh, less than six inches from the ice. Great, let's take it all the take it take that ice away. You know that's how the butterfly came came back into vogue. Um, that was definitely not the case here with between Chevrier or the other goaltender of this game, uh, Romano, uh, specifically Roberto Romano, who the announcers early on mentioned that he was the shortest player in the league at five foot six. Yeah. So in reality, he was probably five foot four because I'm sure that was an official measurement. Uh, <laughs> you know, Chevrier made some. Uh, flashy looking saves, but uh, yeah, this was definitely not a goaltender's duel. Yeah, <laughs> so not. I have just to quote my notes here. I just said every shot is an adventure in this game. Mm-hmm. There, there's every moment where you think, "Oh my god, this is a sure goal," and it's 
Chevrier and it's Romano flopping around outside, you know, right in the slot area, basically. They were they were yeah. coming right up on shots, and he did a good job on the five-on-three Chevrier did as the oh, announcers yeah. continued to fail at pronouncing Ken Danico's name. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, I heard Danico, Danieco, all that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it wasn't a good night for Wilson. Right, and obviously we know, but you know, it's it's early in his career. I kind of get it, but the Pittsburgh goal was scored by uh, Kevin Lavalley. That oh, was a flubbed pass that kind of found its way in, and I guess you take them any way they come. But yeah, the Devils found themselves down one nothing, took a penalty as you said, and then proceeded to score a shorthanded goal. <laughs> Now, take a step back here. After Lavallee's goal, Bill Clement went off on this guy, noting that he was a reject <laughs> twice. Uh, specifically, back in those days, you didn't have free agency like you did today. If a team didn't want you anymore, they could just terminate your contract, similar to how NFL teams can cut players. So Lavallee was already rejected by L.A., and then again by St. Louis. So he was basically picked up by Pittsburgh. Uh, fun fact, this would be his final NHL season. And... Uh, Lavallee decided he was going to have a night. (laughs) Oh, he decided he was going to have a night. You would think if I were to tell you beforehand, Dan, that uh, somebody on the Penguins had a six point night, you probably were going to guess it was Mario Lemieux. No, it was not Mario Lemieux. (laughs) It was this guy. And this would be the first of those six points. But as you said, Dan, shortly thereafter, that penalty. um, Doug Sullivan just walked in. Yeah. Perry Anderson took a slashing call, and then it was more than just Doug Sullivan just walking in there. This was a total misplay by uh, Jim Johnson and Billy Siren, one of the rare European players in this game, uh, where Siren makes a DDD pass, and Johnson decides he's going to let this go through his legs, (laughs) have it come off the board, whiff at it, and then Sullivan's like, cool, free puck, I'm going to step around Siren and just torch Romano. And it was, I I actually yelped, I was like, wow, that's actually some good skill there yeah like that's like 2020 level skill over here (laughs) um and you know it tied it up so it was a very hype moment so to speak and the hype continued on uh 30 seconds later after the penalty kill ended because we got to see something that would never happen in 2020 hockey was that devil's defenseman scoring a goal from 60 (laughs) well more than that dan joe sorella scoring from 60 feet away five hole at first Clement's like, oh, it's got to be deflected. And then they show on the super slow-mo, which they loved. By the way, the broadcasters thought slow-mo was the greatest thing ever. And for you and me, it probably was, too, because you actually got to see, you know, the hockey with something resembling a decent resolution uh, to figure (laughs) out what in the world is happening. Because this is a game from 1986 recorded from some dude's VHS on a DVD. (laughs) So quality wasn't exactly high here. Uh, Not a lot of P here. Uh, this was not 1080p. I think we would be lucky if it was 10, uh, 10.8p. Nevertheless, the the super slow mo show. Nope, that shot just went straight through his legs. And he was like, straight up. Like, was he screened at all? No. Yeah. He wasn't. That's just that's just how things were in the eighties. Sometimes you just take a slapper from sixty feet away, and it goes in. Sometimes you take a slapper from forty five feet away on a rush, and it beats the goalie but hits the post, which happened not sure you know, a little bit after that goal by Sorella. So, I mean, this is Romano we're talking here. There's a reason why you probably have never heard of this dude anymore. Uh, Fun fact, this would be his uh, last season in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Well, Romano, to the tune of a 619 save percentage in this game, didn't make a strong case to stay past this season in Pittsburgh. And like you said, a slap shot from the point found its way through his legs, and the Devils took a 2-1 lead after being hemmed in due to their own lack of discipline for the first 10 minutes of the game. 
Absolutely. And then it continued with a surprisingly adept display of skill. Not surprising because it was him, but just surprising for the time by Kirk Muller, who received a puck off the board. Or no, it was a rebound that he kicked to his stick and swatted it out of midair for a goal, which looked awesome. But it, it was awesome. It, it was just it was a power play goal for the Devils, too. Yep. Craig Simpson. Yes, that Craig Simpson, <laughs> who was then, a, I think, a rookie. Uh, in this season, decided, hey, I'm going to trip up Doug Sullivan. And it was one of those, like, super obvious ones. Like, you couldn't even argue it. And then, as you said, you know, Verbeek puts on a close shot on net, which I'm amazed Verbeek got stopped on the play. And then, as you said, Muller just kicked it up to himself and showed some, as Bill Clement put it, excellent athleticism. That's just excellent athleticism. Pure athleticism. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, well, you know, Bill, that's the type of quality that gets you on ESPN for 30 years. <laughs> and then uh, Lavalley continues the parade to the box as now the Devils, you know, are leading three to one. He takes yet another penalty and the Devils yep. took down Uli Hemer. Uli Hemer. How could he take down Uli Hemer? <laughs> you just can't, Dan. You just can't. And of course, the Devils made them pay the price. And that was Pat Verbeek getting his goal finally. And that would be in the ninth game of the season, his eighth goal of the season. Yep. And it was also thanks to an excellent decision by Kirk Muller, an excellent display of skill where he broke through and cut through the defense with a killer pass across the slot with a backhander. And Verbeek finished a play with a backhander himself. I mean, the commentators were impressed by that. I was impressed by that. I'm sure you were impressed by that. And anybody who watched this game was probably impressed by that. Also to the fact that the Devils were up now 4-1, despite the fact that Pittsburgh had three power plays already, a two-man advantage, and were otherwise pushing the play in their direction. Mm -hmm. And that being said, the good vibes seem to end there as yeah. I just want to point out, by the way, that we're still in the first period and there's still seven minutes left at this point. And what yep. happens next is that um, McNabb pulls down Mario Lemieux and yep. Volanin got a um, concurrent. He just crushed. Yeah, he just crushed Craig Simpson <laughs> after Simpson dove like earlier on the shift. He got. Yeah, exactly. So he got a, a coinciding penalty with McNabb and suddenly the Devils were facing down a full two minute five on three, which uh, Lavallee easily scored on. It seemed like it was a pretty, you know, cut and dry setup play for him just yep. right in front Mo of Mantha. Net. Yeah, Mo Mantha set it across the slot. Lavallee was open in the left circle for the second time and one timer four two. Mo Mantha fits in that category of like, oh yeah, that. That guy. I know that name. Oh, 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 oh. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the broadcasters brought up the fact that, uh, let's see, I've, I took the note here, that Eddie Johnson, the GM of Pittsburgh at the time, uh, apparently traded Norris Trophy winner Randy Carlisle for Mo Mantha and a first-round pick. And at the time, it was criticized, but, you know, Mo Mantha at the time had seven points in nine games. And that first-round pick was Doug Bodger, who was also on the Penguins in this game and would go on to play a bajillion games in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So the broadcaster was like, ah, Eddie Johnson must have known what he was doing trading that Norris Trophy winner. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I understand why Pittsburgh was not a good team at this at this point in uh, in their franchise. <laughs> you know, when you're trading away top guys for lesser guys in a first, eh, I mean, there was no salary cap back then. So right. it's not like you needed to make, you know, make budget unless the Penguins had their own internal, which they probably did. But uh, yeah, Mo Mantha, making it happen because we heard that man's name a lot. We heard his name a lot, Lavallee's name a lot. Uh, Ron Duguay, 
Yes. He didn't, he didn't get on the score sheet, but we got to see his beautiful uh, salad, if you will, flowing in the distance uh, <laughs> before he would become the fashion correspondent of NHL Hockey Night Live on uh, MSG. Well, uh, then after, you know, after that Lavalley goal, things were shockingly quiet for a few minutes as opposed uh, to the rest of this first period. And then they were suddenly not quiet as Cunningworth nope. hit Verbeek and Muller and Danico took exception to that. The Devils got an instigator out of that. Muller got the instigator. He he started pummeling uh, Cunningworth for it. <laughs> and then another penalty happened on Solomon for taking down Lemieux, uh, which was weirdly enough, the most questionable penalty of the game. Because it seemed yeah. like he was already on his way down, but... Yeah, even the broadcasters are like, I think Lemieux kind of sold that one, but the referee was on the far side, so he saw a hook. The referee was on the far side, and it appears the whistle didn't leave his mouth the entire game. Um, no. And, of course, another power play goal happens, so if you're keeping track, at this point, Pittsburgh has scored three times on the power play. The Devils have scored twice on the power play and once on Pittsburgh's power play in the first period. This time it was yep. uh, Terry Ruskowski, and he scored off yep. the rebound, and it's 4-3 at the end of the first period. And what are you thinking at this point? Because, you know, the era back then obviously had some more scoring. The goaltenders were not trained the way they are now. There's, you know, a lot more... I guess that the gap between the most skilled players and least skilled players was much wider back then. But even the yeah. announcers seemed to be like, this is a weird one. Like, this is a bizarre contest because I don't think they expect to see this amount of goals between these two teams, especially not in the first period. No, not at all. They expected not this many penalties, not this many advantages, not not the fact that New Jersey was winning by the end of the first yeah. period since the, the Penguins outshot the Devils 21 to 9. And you didn't need Corsi. You didn't need Fenwick. <laughs> you didn't need expected goals to know that. Yeah, maybe the Devils were in over their heads in this one. Um, as a quick aside, just to give you another example of how different the game was. Ruskowski was set up in front of the net. Sorella straight up tripped him. Ruskowski was able to get back up and then hammer in. Uh, a rebound uh, as Lavalley shot hit the side of the net. <laughs> so so Sorella fouled the man and then didn't think about doing it again. He just kind of was there and Ruskowski was just sort of like, I'm in here, man, and, you know, pounded it in. And Ruskowski, again, you know, he, he was one of those guys that if you were around in the 80s, I guess you know who he was. I had no idea who this guy was. Apparently he had 426 points in 629 games. Uh, he played in the dying years of the WHA, and he parlayed his uh, – he was near the end of his career. He was 32 in this game, and he scored his uh, fifth of the season out of 14 of the year and played with uh, Mario Lemieux in even strength of all things. So, yeah, this is how different things were. You could get away with a blatant trip, get still get burnt, and it would be by a guy that played with Mario that you barely remember because who knows? This is just a guy. <laughs> And, and everybody – and yeah, the announcers were definitely surprised that New Jersey was leading in this one considering that Pittsburgh was dominant. And it was definitely a far cry from the other games that they cut away to because they cut away to Tom Meese in the studio to show what appears to be on a big CRT uh, uh, TV screen the other games such as uh, what was happening St. between – St. Louis uh, Rangers. St. Louis Rangers. Uh, did Philly Buffalo? Philly Buffalo. Not, not Philly Buffalo. I think it was Edmonton Buffalo. Oh, OK, OK. Philly was against and, someone too. No, they showed a Philly and Pittsburgh from a couple days oh, earlier. Oh, that's what it was. Because Philadelphia apparently had some winning streak at home against Pittsburgh, and they wanted to deny Pittsburgh like the best NHL 
like record to start the season, so <laughs> they beat them. Chicago-Detroit uh, was one for sure. Yes, Chicago-Detroit was one of them, and they oh they talked about how Detroit was hapless, and oh boy was Detroit hapless back then. <laughs> uh, anyways. And then we got, and then we got to the intermission, and oh, we got to see some cheese. We got, we got the commercials. Now, throughout the broadcast, we got the commercial breaks. Yeah, so we and have a lot of knowledge about Special commercials. <laughs> oh yeah, the first period apparently was bought out by Ford. And Dan, have you driven a Ford lately? <laughs> I mean, if I hadn't, I definitely wouldn't have by the fourth time I saw that commercial. <laughs> yep. And then we got the Plymouth Sundance because the pride is back, Dan. <laughs> The pride is back. Oh man, there's all, I mean all hosts of interesting Our and like very campy commercials of the time and it's just so strange to look back at what advertising was back then and like what they emphasized. It was also surprising at how some of these slogans and and uh, thought processes have remained true to this day. So for example, you heard me banging on the desk yelling more and more and more. That was for Campbell's chunky soup and their tagline was Soup that eats like a meal. And guess what, Dan? They still use that line today. (laughs) Soup that eats like a meal. And truth be told, I have had chunky soup, and it does feel like a meal. So it's not false advertising, but it's it's remarkable how they found a slogan back in 1986, and you still hear it over 30 years later. Similarly, with Budweiser, they saluted a, a doctor for helping out patients. Uh, doing physical therapy is like this buds for you mm-hmm. and of course bud light you know doing a wacky commercial with the guy going i want a light and of course he gets a light and it's like nah bud light like this is this is what we're dealing with here people lot lots of uh i, I guess we we could say men geared towards commercials of like you know big meaty soups and auto equipment and beer and then we got local commercials for Furniture City and Computerland for the Apple II seed because it was 1986, so of course you did. <laughs> and then we got the NHL spot, Dan. The... Do, do you do you want to go over this one, or do you want me to no, do this No, you, you, you take this one. It seems like you've already thought about this one a lot. <laughs> so in the they had two of these spots to highlight the NHL, right? <laughs> and the first one was clearly shot at the Brendan Burke Arena to the point where they even showed fans wearing a devil's jacket. <laughs> Then at the end, they show a Hartford Whaler coming out onto the ice. <laughs> I think a goaltender. Uh, and then they cut to the takeaway. NHL hockey. Feel the thunder. Oh, boy. Dan, did you feel the thunder of this game? I mean, it. Uh, to be fair, this game in particular was quite okay, thunderous. This, <laughs> this game had a lot of thunder. Yeah. But as a tagline, <laughs> NHL hockey. Feel the thunder. Like the first thing I think of when I think thunder is definitely the cold. You know, not really. Yeah, give me ice hockey. <laughs> yeah. Give me, you know, stuff. <laughs> oh, it's bit, but the music but, they played in those updates was just so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. this, this is very much 1980s. It's in that weird time, Sam, when people think of 80s music, think of like super dark, synthy, like futuristic stuff. Oh, no, this was campy, cheesy synth. And uh, this is bust out the honky tonk, play a few tunes. You're, yep. you're, you're basically playing the entertainer while you show highlights of other NHL games. Yep. While a man with a lot of hairspray in his hair is uh, giving you the uh, most basic of commentary. Uh, <laughs> you know, th- this was very much thing. One thing of note that I do want to highlight is that they did have a little spot with uh, the most boring man of the game, which is, of course, uh, a marketing manager for from uh, Dodge Plymouth. 
but he was talking about the fan vote for the NHL All-Star game. Mm-hmm. So even though this this was back in October 29th, mm-hmm. and they said through November and December you could vote for the uh, starters of the NHL team. And they said that this was the second time they've done this. So the fan voting was you know, very much a new thing back then. But most importantly was that this was ahead of what they were – proclaim is rendezvous 87 so instead of an all-star game they would have two games in quebec city between an nhl all-star team and a soviet russian team and um for those hockey historians out there or those who were able to see the game it is proclaimed that these two are among the greatest games ever played Mm -hmm. in fact uh, the head coach of the soviet team uh has said we cannot say the nhl all-stars game the nhl team won but i can't say we won the game of hockey won Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just sort of like one of those like, you know, moments in time of like, oh, that's what this was for. Okay, And then, you know, then I basically got bored of the guy just talking endlessly with no passion at all about the partnership between, you know, Chrysler, the Chrysler Corporation and the NHL. I mean, that's the kind of thing where they bring the two like major areas that play hockey together. And the result is always exciting to watch. And, you know, I'm wondering if at some point when you know, all this is over, there's a potential for, I think at this point we're too far down the line in terms of the structure of the league and, you know, the the revenues going one way or another and all the risks involved to have this kind of pseudo-summit meeting between the NHL players and the KHL because at this point, most of the best players from there are in the NHL as it is. But before yeah. that was allowed, this was a crazy concept. People had no idea what these other players were like and what they emphasized skill-wise. So it was definitely cool to see that event being more advertised. And after the Summit Series, I figured they would do it a bunch more times, but it didn't seem to be that regular of a thing. Well, there were always exhibitions um, you know, between NHL teams and Soviet All-Star teams, and there was definitely some other interaction. It was, it, part of it also has to do with, you know, the Soviets themselves, like, you know, if they didn't think the deal was worth it and they didn't want to risk people defecting at that time. Mm-hmm. In 1987, the story was a little bit different with uh, Fedosov already making moves to try to come over. And then you have um, he didn't actually get out until 89, I want to say. Um, but the there was more of an openness in the 80s to make this thing happen. And um, it ultimately led to once Fedosov made his move and then when you saw Krutov, Larionov and uh, – goodness the other guy in the line markov thank you um the klm line you know they started coming over all of a sudden the doors sort of just kind of went wide open and a lot of those guys in that game on soviet russia would go on to play in the nhl or have some brief time in north american professional hockey Mm -hmm. all right yeah so that will bring us to the beginning of the second period where the devils if you remember are still leading four to three and they take a penalty well, not only that, Dan, they did nothing well, so, <laughs> until yeah. the penalty. Okay. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh took control of this period. Well, so I had a question for you, actually. This was a situation that came up during this game, and I'm pretty sure this rule has changed, but maybe I'm just losing my mind. If there are coincidental minors and they both get out, do you wait for a stoppage in play, or do you just let both players out? I believe you do it at the stoppage of play, because you because it depends on what the situation is on the ice. Mm-hmm. So in this case, this was um, a four-on-four situation. Yep. And they said, you know, at the next stoppage, come out. But sometimes with – especially if it's a post-whistle beef, like two guys getting, you know, coincidental minors for roughing like we saw like a bunch of times in the first period. Um, it will still be five on five. So you can't have both guys come out because then it would be six on six. Right. And, you know, that would be just literally too many men on the ice. And even though back then the guys were smaller and the rinks seemed bigger, 
the rink hasn't changed, actually. Um, it would still be too many guys on the ice. I'm saying, so, like, is it still true for a four-on-four situation that that's the case? I want to say... Mm, I don't think it is, actually. I think they send both guys out if it's four-on-four four or if it's overtime, like three-on-three. Because three, mm-hmm. there was an incident a couple years back at the Rock where there were coincidental penalties that carried over into overtime. Both guys were out to come out, and then everybody was like, wait a minute, it's four-on-four four now. It should be three-on-three. Three. And then everyone was like, oh, no, no, no. You're allowed to have extra guys on the ice until the next stop at your play. Oh, so. I think I remember this. And also, it took them a very long time to stop the Yeah, play there was like that. no stoppage. You would expect like, oh, a puck would go out of play, an icing, an offside, a freeze. Nope. They they played for like three minutes, and everybody, including myself in the arena, was confused until we learned the new the rule was that uh, if there was enough player if there were enough space on the ice to go to five on five you could do it mm-hmm. okay yeah that's something i just wanted to clarify because we had a lot of coincidental minors in this game and they brought up that situation i was wondering if that was still the case but it seems i, I didn't think it was but it was just an interesting scenario amid you know among all the other penalties that happened and the devils took another one like we said a rare one from Aaron Broughton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the broadcaster was like, whoa, Aaron Broughton took a penalty. And it was like an awkward hit. I mean, high sticking, I guess, was a way to call it. Um, it was definitely weird of him to do so. Ruskowski had a deflection that hit the post. And then, of course, our man Lavalle, <laughs> who already already had four, you know, three points in the first period. Uh, he got his hat trick from a feed from number 66 himself. And uh, left circle. It's mind boggling that Doug Carpenter, who the uh, broadcasters described as totally stoic, uh, didn't want to tell any of his defensemen, hey, put a man on the circle. Anybody but this guy, please. Nope. 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 We'll just let him fire away. Oh, look, he scored. What a surprise. (laughs) It's 4 4. Oh, well. Yeah, so that's I a four one lead I, blown. I just want to say this is yep. you know, the, the nineteen eighty six Devils very much resembled uh the, the twenty 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 nineteen twenty twenty ones in that way. Yeah. Uh, and and just like that, the Devils while we're talking about this, Dan, the Devils went about ten minutes without a shot on net. Yeah. Like this like again, there's no attempts being recorded, but even from just watching, I'm just like, there's no attempt on net. Like, the Devils are just clearing the – they're playing this whole first half of the second period like they're on a penalty kill. And in many ways, they kind of were because, you know, Pittsburgh just kept dominating the puck, winning battles, getting the puck back. New Jersey would ice it, go offside, whatever, give it up, and then we repeat the cycle again. And as you said, every shot was an adventure with this game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we kind of lost the adventure a little bit because – our uh, faithful recorder had a skip in his film where it went from 4-4 to 6-5 New Jersey and the, the third. third period. Yeah, I mean, we, we got – I don't know about you, but I had uh, Bill Clement and, and Ken Wilson you know, basically dissing the Detroit GM for uh, signing Warren, Warren Young to a big contract after he had a great year next to Mario Lemieux. Mm-hmm. And then even Clement, because normally broadcasters aren't trying to be critical, but even they were like, this this is a young guy who had a big year out of nowhere, but he played next to Mario all year. Yeah. What did you think? <laughs> you didn't need to do your homework. <laughs> exactly. Then, I then, mean, it's like, and you know, those wingers that get contracts because of Connor McDavid, the, the idea is the same. Yeah, or Sidney Crosby. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But our, our intrepid broadcast uh, recorder lost 
10 minutes, the final 10 minutes of the second period, which sucks because the Devils scored two power play goals <laughs> and conceded one to Mario Lemieux. This was Mario Lemieux's only goal of the game, by the way. He had 15 after this game. So <laughs> that's how, Mario Lemieux was up there with Wayne Gretzky in the in the scoring race uh, by by this uh, broadcast. Mm-hmm. But Pat Verbeek got his second of the game. Kirk Muller got his second of the game. Uh, both punishing uh, Pittsburgh penalties, uh, specifically Mike Bullard and Jim Johnson, both for tripping. Uh, so we jump right to the third period, or rather the second intermission, right going into this third period with New Jersey up 6-5. And the broadcasters are like, there's already nine power play goals in this game. <laughs> And, and the devil, you know, the devils were four for five and Pittsburgh was five for nine. <laughs> and weirdly, you know, there were ta- things evened out, you know, they, they they weirdly stayed pretty stable through the beginning of the third period as the next two goals scored in this game would be the only even strength ones. Well, since or since, since the Torella's, first period, yeah, since the first period. Yeah. I mean, both the broadcasters made a big deal about how, well, you know, in the, uh, you know, after last season, both Pittsburgh and New Jersey wanted to improve their special teams and well, they improved their power play, <laughs> you know, their fourth and fifth respectively in power play, uh, conversion rate, you know, uh, you know, they, after running the numbers after tonight's game, uh, they, they're not going to be so happy on the penalty kill, but Hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. Uh, Kirk Muller minutes- scores, uh, four sixteen to the third to give the devils a little bit of insurance. And it is, his, Very important, sure. His, yeah, it, exactly. And it's his matching hat-trick goal to match the sniper Kevin LaValle. And more importantly than that, Dan, this whole play started because <laughs> I'm fairly certain Aaron uh, – I'm sorry, not Aaron Brown. Verbeek basically took da- – Muller first took down a penguin, which I don't think was legal. And then Verbeek absolutely did not legally take down Shabbat, uh, a defenseman on Pittsburgh. And then our man Danico, a.k.a. Danico, a.k.a. Danuaiko, aka number three on New Jersey, just let it rip from 60 feet away from the right point, and Kirk Muller tips it in past the uh, five foot six goalie, and so Ken Danico gets on the board with a primary <laughs> assist for Kirk Muller's hat trick, uh, hat trick goal seven five, and. Uh, then we got to hear about how stoic Doug Carpenter was for about a minute. Yeah, and, and that was weird. And that was that was definitely weird. I don't know why they'd focus on that for so long. Yep. <laughs> and then um, then we got another rare case of matching high sticking penalties. Yeah. <laughs> Normally it's like high sticking on one and then something else for someone else. Oh no! And it was legitimate too. Mel Bridgman and Craig Simpson. They just hit each other in the face with their sticks. I don't know what else to tell you. They just whack. And then things and then things broke down for the Devils in a bad way since uh, Kevin Lavalley led a three-on-two rush. And let me tell you, Laval- they changed the lines in the third period because originally Lavalley was riding with uh, Ron Duguay and Mike Bullard. But then we, excuse me, we got to see Willie Lidstrom. Yes, Willie is his official name on the score sheet. Yeah. Um. He got stoned earlier by Chevrier, but he got his revenge on this play where, uh, goodness, I, I, I have to look at this because this is this is sad to me. Well, Lennon actually does the right thing by knocking the puck away from LaValle, but Lidstrom was trailing, so the puck went right to him. And it was almost like the sea parted for Mr. Lidstrom. <laughs> it was as if you could have called him Moses with how much the Red Sea was parted. So he had a basic one-on-one with Chevrier, Chevrier and just beat him straight up uh, five hole, seven, six. And now it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, you know, they already talked about how Pittsburgh had like six comeback wins already out of their eight to the season. You're thinking, oh, this could be another one. From a broadcasting perspective, I'm sure it's enjoyable. From a 
devil's fan perspective, not so. And then, uh, then they pointed out, oh man, Pittsburgh's out shooting the Devils, forty-one to nineteen. Like, yikes, guys! Well, that's a yikes on Romano for sure. If at oh, yeah. if at that point they have nineteen shots and it's the third period, they should not be winning that game, having scored seven goals. No, it's actually remarkable, Dan, that they didn't go to their back. Either either team didn't go back to their backup goaltenders, and I don't know why. Um, well, Chevrier, it, it, I kind of understand just because a lot of the stuff he let up was obviously on the power play, but also when the ice was completely tilted in the Devils, in the, you know, the Penguins' direction. And on top of that, the Devils did have a game at home against the Islanders the next day. I don't know if Pittsburgh had the same schedule. I'm quickly checking. No, they did not have a They just came off of a back-to-back. This is a second half of a back-to-back for them. So maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. But even so, at some point, you have to look at the score and just go, all right, our goalie's not getting it done. Clearly, it's not happening tonight. Let's just put the other guy in because this is not working. And yet, Stoic Doug Carpenter and uh, Bob Berry, great name, um, who apparently got ejected from the previous game. <laughs> Amazingly, he kept it, kept, kept it together for this one. We didn't get to see a coach freak out. Um, decided, nope, we're sticking with our goalies. We're riding them to the end. <laughs> and, they, and then... All right, go ahead. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, we had another skip from our recorder. Well, before that, there was a moment where Lemieux tried to drop the gloves on Bruce Driver, and Driver oh, was yes! just straight up not interested in dealing with him. And then Mel Bridgman comes in, and he's like, hey, uh, hey, young guy, you want to go with me instead? And there was you know, very little interest from Lemieux at that point, which is just a funny thing to look at, because Bruce Driver straight up just skates away from him. Yeah, and this was actually after the skip, but this was a, this is where the game was definitely breaking down and where you would kind of expect these types of beefs to happen, you know, because the Devils are now winning 8-6 to six at this point. Our, our recorder came back in just on a replay of uh, Aaron Broughton tipping in a shot to make it 8-6. A power play goal. Okay. And, um, yeah, he, he put in Verbeek's shot. So I think this was off a tip, uh, possibly a rebound. Another wide open in front of the net. Hey, why do we even bother covering these guys? I'm wondering. Now I'm realizing why Pittsburgh was not a very successful team that season. Yes, they were eight and two at the time of the game, but uh, things went south after this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, this is where you would expect the frustration to boil over. Like you're Pittsburgh, you're at home, you lost last night to Hartford, and you have Kevin Lavalley putting up six points, and you're losing eight to six to the Devils. <laughs> So I, this is where, yeah, this is where, you know, Mario Lemieux's unhappy. He slashed it at Bruce Driver. Bridgman is now going, hey, young man, you want to tussle? And, you know, Bridgman got tossed for that one. He got a 10-minute misconduct because I'm going to guess he said some words along with let's tussle that were not appropriate. Um, but the beefs were just flowing more and more. Like, like the, the ref started, like, I guess getting – the game kind of got out of hand here. And, and, you know, some of the nasty nastier stuff came up even a little bit later. Adams – Greg Adams, of all players, he's another guy from the 80s, uh, from those the 80s Devils team. Cunnyworth, he had a breakaway. Cunnyworth caught up to him and basically hugged him with his stick. <laughs> Romero stopped the play, and then Adams, I guess, decided off camera, you know, he's at the end boards after being taken down by Cunnyworth to say, thank you for ruining my breakaway, and basically decided to elbow him, you know, pretty elbow him in the chops, and then, of course, a big melee erupted between everybody. And because it was the 1980s, the only calls out of this were just two minutes each to Adams and Cunningworth. <laughs> Nothing about any of the gloves being thrown or punches being thrown to guys lying on the ice. Nothing about the hugging. Nothing about the verbals. 
you know, you, you, the broadcast wisely picked up the ref just calling out the penalties, but thankfully didn't pick up anybody swearing mm-hmm. from the players because there was definitely some swearing. Um, even Ron Dugay was uh, throwing out some lumber out there. I mean, things were just falling apart, and it was very much, you know, you know, helter-skelter, um, as the broadcasters put it, or at least a kind of helter-skelter. Yeah, and the game fittingly ended with Terry Ruskowski taking a roughing penalty as the last uh, last thing that appears on the score sheet besides maybe, like, a shot. And Yeah, Ruskowski got behind the defense, but um, they missed on the pe- leading pass, and Chevrier just knocked it away. Chevrier loved playing the puck in this game. He just was, like, flinging them away. It's a good precursor uh, for Devils goalies, you know. Yeah, I mean, fun fact, Pittsburgh pulled their goalie with about a minute left, which made you think, you're down two against Elaine Chevrier and the New Jersey Devils. Did you not want to pull them maybe a little earlier? Uh, but hey, whatever. Uh, the ESPN, ESPN announced that their player of the game was Kirk Muller mm-hmm. for his three-point effort. He had, obviously, a hat trick all on the power uh, – no, not all on the power play. Uh, but he also had three assists. Um Kevin Lavallee, they did say, would have had the honorable mention, but their team lost, so he doesn't get it. Oh, weird how that works. John Shabash is a Yeah, yeah, weird how that works. Uh, and then the Devils, and then weirdly after that Ruskowski penalty, the game just kind of just went to a fizzle. And the Devils won their f- one. It was the first loss at home for Pittsburgh in that season. The Devils gave up 46 shots on net. <laughs> Clement says at the end of the game, oh, Romero wasn't that bad despite giving up. Romano, 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 whatever. Look, the guy doesn't you could have they should have put Ray Romano in net instead of Roberto. I demand you respect all five feet, six inches of him. (laughs) I'm just going to quickly look at this uh, play by, you know, his history here. So, yeah, this was his last season of Pittsburgh. He put he made one appearance for Boston (laughs) where he gave up six goals in one game and then he made a revival in 93 94 where he made two appearances in uh and believe it or not only allowed three goals in two appearances with pittsburgh so he had a brief revival uh as a free agent i'm guessing just as a fun fact uh, he did spend a little time in the ahl with baltimore and moncton and then he was relegated to the main mariners for a season and then he played in italy uh for a bunch of years and then made a comeback to north america in 93 94 Okay, gotcha. So that's a you know it's it's a decent little career based on the fact that he got there, a six nineteen. I respected the five foot six man yeah. from there. from Montreal. Yeah, there you go. Okay, but uh, yeah, he had a terrible game. Uh, the yes. Devils were outshot forty six to twenty one, which is <laughs> ooh, that's a tough look, and that's a familiar hey. look for us. <laughs> Hey, this power play was buzzing, though. You can't. You got to say the power play was very good in this game. Well, pretty much was the game. (laughs) This was the game for the Devils. Their power play was a plus, gold star, ten out of ten, whatever you want to call it. Their power play was hustling and bustling, moving and grooving, shaking and baking, posted and toasted. (laughs) All right, and any number of cliches after that. be used to describe that power play and really just as a whole exercise watching this game was a pleasure it was really really interesting to see you know not only what the broadcasters were talking about but what the league was like at the time and who was in charge there's a lot of familiar names on that scoring leaderboard that you alluded to with Gretzky and Lemieux uh, you had Cicerelli there as well um, you know there's there's a lot of players that you Dosny. only what'd you say Dosny yep yep so there's a lot of players that you've you've heard about how good they were, but until you see them in action a little bit. And Lemieux, he was present in this game, but obviously 
a little bit limited by the fact that every single devil's directive was apparently to just pull him down, which I'm fine with, but you know, that's going to get called every once in a while. Um, and surprisingly absent from this game, not just on the score sheet, but really in the broadcast in general was devil's all time leading scorer until Patrick Eliash took over that mark. John McClain. Yeah. John McClain did nothing in this game. Uh, well, let, let me rephrase. I, I don't want to say he did nothing in this game but he was very 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 quiet i was actually stunned when they uh called out that he had a shot on that i was like oh that's right he was on this team yeah like you got to see plenty of danico you got plenty to see you got you obviously got to see a lot of verbeek muller and uh broughton they were clearly the best players on the devils in this game you got to see a lot of craig wolanin not being very good you got to see a lot of peter McNabb not being very good he also didn't have a helmet so he was easy to point out <laughs> you got to see a young ken danico with hair you got to see bruce driver making some defensive plays sorella was decent uh, in this game for sure uh, uh, yes and no i i disagree okay. um but yeah, Greg Adams wasn't that hot, and and but McLean, it was almost like, oh, that's right, McLean was on this team. It was stunning. Same with Mark Johnson; he had two assists, but he was another one of those early '80s guys that you would thought you know would stick out a little bit more because he was one of those bigger names on those teams. But he was just he was just a guy in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after all that weirdness, the Devils came away with an eight-six win. <laughs> weirdness not only in the game but also in the broadcast and it was really cool to take a look back and i think you know we're going to continue with the winning vibes i think this team has seen or we've we've talked about losing enough this year so we're going to continue with wins sorry this is just how how we're going to do things and the next game we're going to cover because uh you know john i don't really feel like covering another double overtime game again so i don't think we're going (laughs) to cover the Stanley Cup finals win in 2000, but we're going to cover something that very much facilitated that win. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is a legendary one. It's legendary for the right reasons, the wrong reasons, and even reasons to the point where I actually forgot how it transpired until I looked it up a couple years uh, ago. This is the legendary Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2000. That's right. The New Jersey Devils going into Philadelphia and completing the 4-1 series comeback ruining Eric Lindros's comeback and stunning the city of brotherly, brotherly love into another L-filled silence. <laughs> and, you know, the first two games we covered, Patrick Eliash was on the team, but he was relatively quiet in those games. Not so in this one. This is the Patrick oh, no. Eliash hero game. So looking forward to, you know, getting a good look at what he's able to do and how he was the engine that drove a lot of those, um, you know, successful Devils teams all the way to the top. Not only that, this game also includes the infamous and legendary uh, Scott Stevens hit on Eric Lindros. I compare this personally to the Chuck Bednarnik hit on Frank Gifford. So all you old school NFL fans know exactly what I mean in terms of the magnitude of this hit. I used to think that hit ended the game for the Flyers. Actually, I learned that was not the case. And watching this game will show how close it was because this was very much a great example of those mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, super close, super tight checking, super low scoring tension filled games. And of course it's for all the marbles of the Eastern conference. Winner goes to the Stanley cup finals and we know what happens, but until you see it, can you really say, you know what happens? Yeah. And so we will see it. We'll be sure to link uh, as usual, the full game. If we can find it on youtube with the posts that this podcast accompanies and also i'm going to be doing something because john you found something cool 
And uh, there's a version of that broadcast of that game, which undoubtedly focuses on the Russian players involved on both sides. That's um, Malachov, Brilin, McGilney, and Zelipukin, seemingly, um, in terms of the game, because they broadcasted in Russian. So I'm going to watch that and kind of see what they were talking about during this. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I am fluent in it, and not a big deal, but it is... I think it's valuable to get that kind of perspective because they're probably focusing on different aspects of playing hockey itself um, in, in terms of what they're highlighting on the broadcast. So I'm going to take a look at that and see what I can glean from that broadcast as well. Yep, it's going to be super cool stuff as we continue to bring you, the people that matter, super cool stuff to listen to and to watch and to discuss and to remember on the Garden State of Hockey. All right, that's as good a way to end it as any. Just remember, stay safe, stay inside, and make sure you're taking care of one another and make sure you're conversing. You know, hockey might not be going right now, but we're still very much talking about it. So continue to enjoy these looks back to the past. And as things ramp up, as you know, we get some sort of information about um, what the resolutions will be regarding the current season, if there's any news that way, we'll be sure to include it here as well. Um, there is some talk that the Devils maybe interviewed Mike Gillis again for um, general manager. We'll see how that resolves. But again, until we have more information, we'll stick to the old stuff and uh, bring you stuff as as things advance in a direction where it seems like hockey's coming back. That being said, thanks for listening to this episode of the Garden State of Hockey. Hope you enjoyed this absolute barn burner of a game. And we'll see you next time for one of our favorites, and I'm sure one of yours.